Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast. Today I'm rejoined by Buzzing Pool, who, who featured on episode 44, which was basically a PB special. It's one of the only episodes we've done on the Figcast, which is kind of more tutorial than discussion, where Paul basically went through what PB is and, and how it works to, to great depth, and it was awesome. So, Paul, why don't you reintroduce yourself to some of the new listeners that have started listening to the Figcast since you last appeared, if that makes sense. It does, and, and hopefully there's been lots and lots of new listeners kind of aligned to the growth of the platform since I was last on in, in May of last year. Um, so hello, Buzz uh, and Paul, and a good introduction, uh, Fig, thank you very much. Um, mainly hang out on Football Index Twitter, and I'm very, very occasionally on the Index Game Slack community. On Twitter, I post daily match day predictions um, or match day dividends. I also post snippets of interest in match day data, and I've recently introduced a portfolio management blog called The Buzz. Kind of what's unique about my kind of Twitter account is that I posts or all my decisions are based on a match day ranking algorithms probably an exaggeration but a, a kind of a unique scoring mechanism that means i can look at all the players across the top five european leagues and put them in a ranking order my dms are always open for any questions so twitter or index gain if you want to get in touch with me about any questions that you had probably worth a, a general caveat that we're going to talk lots of stats and numbers and, and, and we'll probably talk about a, a lot of individual players. So, Fig, please put a leash on me when I start going into too much detail and stats and numbers. I will, but I'm sure we'll uh, probably talk about players in hindsight rather than their, their current um, situations, for example. Uh, yes, so, and please, as you'll want to do, Fig, play devil's advocate whenever I, my opinion sounds too strong on a particular <laughs> of course uh that's what i'm here to do isn't it but um I, I think it's probably a good idea to recap that podcast that i just mentioned at the beginning episode 44 why don't you talk a little bit around what we did there and why we did it so so what i wanted to, or what we wanted to achieve in episode 44 like you mentioned before was kind of a standalone tutorial on, on how match day dividends are calculated um, so what we did, we looked in detail at the scoring matrix. We split the scoring matrix between passing, crossing, shooting, defending, and other, which is kind of match outcomes and miscellaneous events not really related to any of the other categories. We, we discussed stacking, if you remember, and how mm. game-winning goal was the golden ticket, I, I think I described it as. So, so stacking is a concept where points add up for one particular outcome on a pitch. The game-winning goal is obviously the prime example of that. One possession or one touch of the football can gain you 106 points when you score a game-winning goal. And the breakdown of that is 40 for the game-winning goal, 18 for a, a match-win outcome, 40 for the goal, five for the shot on target, and five for the and three for the shot. So a total of 106 points for one kick of a football. <laughs> the the scoring matrix that we all know and love, or some of us don't, uh, according to FI Twitter recently, and we'll get onto that at some point later on in the show because we did get a lot of questions about the matrix. Um, I, I think it's something that you do want to discuss, isn't it? Uh, but is there anything else that you'd uh, want to mention about that episode 44 and try and encourage some listeners that haven't had a look at it to to go and revisit it? 
Yeah, we, we also discussed baseline, if you remember, and I tried mm. to kind of break down some of the barriers that, or, or some of the misconceptions about a baseline. At the very highest level, it's the average match day points that you can expect from a player for just being on the pitch. So it excludes goals, assists, and match outcome, and kind of gives you a, a, a comparative value that you can use to to compare players across positions and across teams. Mm. We also spent a lot of time discussing average versus peak, yeah. which particular players you, you, you might want to target with investment. And the outcome that we got to together was kind of, we targeted average or high average players for low fixture game days. But for high fixture game days, we, we looked to target those peak players. Mm. And, mm. and you, you'll find that players that have high average scores and high peak scores tend to be amongst the most expensive on the index for all yeah. the right reasons. For, for, for sure. And I think we did mention that in episode 44, that looking at those players that have the high averages and the high peak scores is obviously kind of the Goldilocks of um, of of that equation in terms of PB on Football Index. And I think the episode after that or two after that with uh, SOTD and uh, Liam, uh, co-author of the Football Index blog, we talked about kind of who, who you'd... Oh, no, no, actually, it was not with Liam. It was with... Uh, uh joel from football index edge so had the the two edge guys on and we talked about how you know having because i think they disagreed didn't they it was quite funny uh lee thought the um or sotd thought that the high peak players were the ones to go for and joel was kind of leading more towards the averages whereas i said well you know the real value obviously lies in the players that kind of tick both boxes are or or are in the vicinity of ticking ticking both boxes yeah, and, and what the value that I got from that particular episode of the podcast was, I think it was SOTD's comment on how high average players tend to have sustainable growth in terms mm. of price appreciation. Peak players tend to be more volatile. If they've mm-hmm. got a good performance, their price will spike. If they perform particularly badly, there might be some negative pressure on their price. So yeah, another great podcast that follows on nicely from episode 44 if if listeners want to go check that out. Mm, definitely so. But um, before we get into the plethora of questions that we were we were presented with here, Paul, I need to plug myself a little bit. I've already plugged the Football Index blog with uh, mentioning uh, Football Index LM or Liam. That blog goes out fortnightly on Medium. Uh, we're getting a lot of good feedback. I am, I hope, uh, FI Trader and Football Index LM are as well. Um, if you want to head over to my YouTube channel as well, you can see my face rather than just hear my voice. I've just released a video which is detailing my top five tips for in-play trading. Uh, I've not done kind of like a short-term trading tutorial in a while, so quite enjoyed making that one. And also, I'll probably be doing another Q&A uh, the Wednesday after this release so next Wednesday uh, after the Sunday this releases uh, if you want to listen to my voice speak about just football head over to the State of Play podcast getting some real traction on that one as well with uh, Matt Santangelo who lives in New Jersey and is a Serie R expert we cover all top five leagues in Europe and uh, the MLS so kind of the bridge between European football and MLS soccer is my kind of catchphrase for that podcast if you want to collaborate or subscribe subscribe if you want to collaborate or sponsor the podcast hit me up on football.index.guide at gmail.com or just hit me up on twitter my dms are open 
Lastly, please leave a review. I think there's 101 reviews now on Apple. Uh, I guess the journey to 200 reviews has started, which is pretty awesome. And if you haven't subscribed, please do so. Uh, on with the questions, I guess, here. Just before the questions, I'll have to check out your video on in, kind of in-play strategy. <laughs> Um, t- today has gone terribly for me. I uh, purchased Socrates before the two o'clock deadline uh, for him not to be in the lineup. Sold him before the game for him to come on and score. Mm, mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, did, I didn't actually, unfortunately, get to speak about GNA because I think I, I've made a couple videos about GNA. It was more kind of what trends we see in play, whether that be multiple goals from players, um, good scores before 2 p.m., good scores uh, after a short period of time in a game which is obviously quite risky business but can be very profitable uh, looking at the spread etc etc so uh, definitely want to, to have a look at I think but um, I think Tony Graham here asked uh, an interesting question for you because you mentioned you make some predictions on, on the timeline you're very open and transparent do you keep track of how often your predictions are correct if so is there any category that stands out as being the easiest to predict Yes, so I do daily predictions. I also do daily results of my predictions. Um, so there's kind of two time frames that I want to discuss. First one, which is really strong performance from my predictions during the World Cup. So a quick reminder, there was 25 low fixture game days during the, the World Cup in the previous summer. I managed to predict 19 out of 75 positional winners at a 25% strike rate. And in terms of particular position, forwards perform the best, or I, my predictions perform the best with forwards at a strike rate of 36%. In terms of predicting the, the a correct top three, I got 40 out of 75 predictions correct at a 49% strike rate. And again, forwards performed the best there at a strike rate of 68%. You'll notice a theme here, Fig. <laughs> And the second, the second time frame I want to talk about is is since I refreshed my data set. So I I refreshed for the first kind of two-thirds of the season at the end of January. Since then, we've had 20 game days. Performance has been definitely a little bit mixed, a little bit like Chelsea. I don't know what the <laughs> score is now as we record, but we've had some very up and down uh, results. Mm. Um, there's been 60 positional winners that I've predicted. I've got eight of those correct at a 13% strike rate. And the, the best performing position, Fig, any guesses? I'm going to guess with forwards, but I'm not 100% sure. Forwards and defenders actually <laughs> combined at 15 Oh, okay. Well, I think, I guess, because there's a smaller pool of forwards, it makes sense that that's the easier to predict. But defenders, I guess, is... A far tougher one, right? Yeah, the, so I, I had a look at this actually, predicting that that would be kind of the first response and the first reason given. In, in, in the top five leagues this season, there's been 428 forwards that have got minutes. Mm. There's been 666 midfielders and 621 defenders. So you're absolutely right. There is significantly less forwards. I think another factor is that the best forwards are that much better mm. than the rest. So my rankings have Neymar, Ronaldo and Messi as the top three, which isn't kind of, it won't come as a surprise to listeners. <laughs> They're kind of significantly ahead of their competition. So my advice to anyone either predicting or investing in forwards for particular game days would be to either own those premium players 
or to target days where they don't play and you'll, you'll probably come close to winning those, those four with dividends. I guess, I guess there's also the fact that strikers seem to be a bit more streaky and a bit more um, like form players. They, they also tend to mistake me if I'm... Uh, please excuse me if I'm wrong. They tend to overachieve more than their expected performance so xg and xa are, are stats that people you'd like to use in terms of expected goals and excess, uh, expected assists i think that forwards are obviously most likely to supersede their expected performances well, they have the most shots don't they mm. so you'd expect that the highest variance against xg we've got a question on that coming up actually and um, and we'll talk through some numbers and you, the results might contradict what you've just said so i'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll drop that one in for later Awesome. Well, um, I think we're going to do our data section bright and early in this show because, Paul, you you do love your data. Um, And this one, you actually asked the guys at Index Gain to give you some data. So why don't you explain to the listeners what you wanted in terms of the data sets and why you wanted it? So so I'll probably start with the the exact question that I ask, and it's probably poorly worded, worded, so bear with me. I asked how many times a defender would have won top midfielder if you take into account the removal of their clean sheet points. I also asked a secondary question on the back of that. How many times would the top forward have won top midfielder for any particular game day? So my, my theory is that there should be some negative pressure on, on, a, on a future's price if they are unfortunately switch from a, switch from a forward or a defender to a midfielder. It's kind of something that I've considered for a while and never really had the empirical evidence for. So obviously, as soon as I had the opportunity to ask the guys at Index Gain, I I jumped on it. Yeah, I think it's an interesting one because there have been players, again, we're talking about the likes of Kimmich, uh, Guerrero, who who have played in different positions to what their, their actual actually put down as by Opta. Um, so so why don't you go through the results here? I'll, I'll let you take this away. Yeah, but just before the results, probably the opposite is true. If you move away from a midfielder mm-hmm. to a forward or a defender, there's probably some positive price pressure that you'd expect on the back of it. Um, so so the, the guys at Index Game provided every single match day result from, from this season. And I kind of just looked at triple days. Mm. Um, because those are those are the key things. If you're investing long term, you want to be winning triple days because the dividend payout is so much higher. Mm. So it's been 50 triple days this season. Um, if you take the clean sheet points away from the top defender, they beat the top midfielder only 20% of the time. When we're looking at dividend days, that increases slightly to 23% of the time and single days increases again to 33% of the time. So for me, I'm not sure about you, Fig, but clear empirical empirical evidence to to suggest that the move from a midfielder to a defender will result in less match day dividends or could result in less match day dividends. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And now... The picture is a lot more balanced, actually, when you look at forwards, and I was quite surprised at that. Uh, I was also surprised by this before you go into it, because so much is made on on Twitter and in the community about being a forward, right? Yeah, and and we've discussed all the reasons why it's good to be a forward. There's significantly Mm. less forwards on the market. There's significantly less forwards 
in each in each fixture. So, so, so if I go into detail, then again in the 50 triple days this season, a forward has beaten the midfielder in 56% of times. So actually, on triple days, a move from forward to midfielder might not necessarily be a bad thing for Price. Mm. We switch the opposite way around when we look at double days and single days. So on, on double days, a forward, the top forward beats the top midfielder on 42% of occasions. And on single days, that goes up slightly to 45%. It's certainly one of the most thorough data sets that Index Gain have provided from for us. What are your thoughts on? And I guess we'll probably get onto this in in, in a, a later point of the show. But Football Index being able to put players in different positions. I, I know you're betting on a player in three years and that would be a big variable to change if they go from one position to another but it kind of seems logical that if x plays in y position they are under the position that uh they play on football index if that makes sense on the scoring rank- rankings yeah so, so it's probably important to, to say that football index don't own the feed for no it, it comes directly from opta but they're you're right in that a position change is a fundamental, in my opinion, is a fundamental change to the terms of your bet mm-hmm. and kind of the empirical evidence that the, the guys at Index Gain have provided hopefully adds a bit of weight to that to that argument. Again, you, you use the example on the, the scoring matrix with FPL bonus points and, and how a lot of people kind of don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. I think... I think there's another similarity to FPL in that not necessarily everyone is going to agree with the positions of players. Mm. But what I'd like, really like to see from Football Index is, is kind of a formal communication on which players are changing position prior to that change occurring. Yeah. I, I think I've noticed changes occur twice annually, but kind of cloak and dagger, I imagine there's a lot more changes that we're not aware of. I'd like to see a formal communication before the change is made and potentially even a market suspension, which is a really kind of new idea that I really agree with as a trader. And you wouldn't even have to suspend trading on the whole market. You could suspend trading on a player, right? Yeah. Yes, you could. Uh, unless you're doing bulk ones. But even then, you could just suspend trading on those players that are being affected, right? Yes. I, I... It depends what balance you want to find because if you just suspend particular players, then everyone will be aware that those players have changed position. I suppose that's the idea. But but I guess like if they were to do some sort of formal uh, announcement or comms and then suspended said players, like whilst the comms went out, then the chances of someone finding out that some of those players have been uh, or, or changed positions um before the comms or like before they'd read the comms would be quite low right yes what what i'd like to see is kind of more than one change occur at a certain time yeah what i what i think you might find is that people react more positively to the positive position changes mm-hmm. and they prioritize jumping on the a player that had moved to a forward or moved to a defender versus kind of getting rid of a midfield uh, getting rid of someone that had transitioned to a midfielder 
it's it's definitely an interesting one and it's definitely something that we need to keep an eye on and i think it's also definitely something that football index probably have in their pipeline in terms of actually like just smoother transitioning yes and and this is kind of another reason to join communities so football uh, twitter and and kind of index gain are the, the two key ones that i use and if you're on those communities you've just got so many more people looking at the platform on a daily basis that might notice these changes and until fi have got a formal process in place yeah i i think creating that formal process is probably quite key for football index on a variety of things in terms of communication so we'll we'll kind of wait and, and see where that goes but it definitely really interesting data that you've asked for i think you and when asp came on the other week he asked for some very specific data as well so it was good to see that the index game guys could provide it it seems like there's nothing dca can't do right um you're an avid user of index gain you mentioned yes i am it They've so their most recent development is probably one of the most useful that I've found. So they've introduced a, a my port feature, mm. which means one, once you've added all the players within your portfolio to the feature, you can get kind of price movements mm. on those particular players, and that's a really great and advancement in terms of kind of portfolio management which is something that football index it will be on their pipeline but they haven't made any progress with as yet mm-hmm. and i don't think we'll see any progress until the new site comes out which uh i, I mean it should probably be when the, the next few months i'm assuming uh but if you guys do want to check out Index Gain, uh, head over to indexgain.co.uk. They have got a great Slack community and they have some amazing stats. And as Paul just mentioned, that feature of having the portfolio sorter or tracker is amazing. It's a, it's a game changer. And if you want to get a cheeky discount off your first month subscription use the code fig2019 at checkout and you'll get half price for your first month subscription i think it's 849 and you get 50 percent off using fig2019 so indexedgain.co.uk fig2019 checkout cheeky discount what more can you ask for and a quick disclaimer this is for new users only not existing users of index gain so uh, paul if you're thinking of uh, unsubscribing getting a cheeky discount for your first uh, month you're not able to do that i've been told by dca specifically he said he'd uh, come around with a baseball bat which would not be uh, would not be good uh, next we're going to talk about the scoring matrix Woo-hoo. <laughs> this is something that is um i think i said this on the podcast with adam cole kieran and mike where i said the football index twitter community is strange in the fact that there's always something that we seem to be complaining about or there's always something that we seem to be talking about or there's conversation or discussion about some of it and some of it may be positive some about some of it may be negative and some of it is subjective as to how people view it but i think there was some really really interesting discussion about game winning goal after last week's podcast and it's obviously sprouted various uh, lanes of discussion about the PB scoring matrix. You mentioned the FPL bonus points earlier. We had a qu- couple questions here that I think people want to hear your thoughts on. So, football index and Premier League uh, or FPL 
or I don't really know how to say this, F bracket index plus Premier League fanatic or an attic that's actually quite clear it's like a basically a maths equation but with words which i quite like uh handle is football index sb which is significantly easier <laughs> significantly easier thank you very much there paul uh, <laughs> if football index do eventually decide to implement a tweak in the pb scoring matrix how much notice should they give for example make the announcement of any changes and say that they will take place in they will take place in one or three or six or 12 months surely they can't implement it immediately as people have money in already Yep, so I, I really like the, the recent precedent that Football Index have implemented in terms of the timetable for the share split. I, I, I remember the, the original announcement being in December and the implementation will be in March. So that's about a four-month time period. And I would expect any um, match day scoring matrix changes to, at a minimum, work towards that timetable. In fact, I think they probably need a little bit longer. In an ideal world, I'd, I'd probably announce the changes to the scoring matrix in Christmas, and I'd look to implement those changes at the start of the following season. The reason I'd look to work towards that timetable would that there would would that it would give time for two transfer windows, and there's obviously lots of short-term trading opportunities during the transfer window, and not necessarily as much focus on match day dividends. It would also give us the latter stages of European football, where we could focus um, our, our portfolios to, towards the current match day um, scoring matrix. And it totals about eight months between announcement and implementation, which is about double the timeline on the share split. But a fundamental change like that, I think, does require a significant amount of time. How does that timeline feel to you, Fig? I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate. A little bit here. Um, when or if Football Index announce that they would do said thing and that it's eight months away, would they announce what they're doing in your scenario? I, in an ideal world, but, but I guess the eight months builds in a bit of time. For but, but wouldn't you say that, okay, if I say to you, look, Paul, in eight months, goals are going to be worth 65 points. What would you do on the index straight away? I would act as if the eight months didn't exist. Exactly, and I think that, and I think that the 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 way I prefer or would prefer something like this to happen is if, and fundamentally, I don't think football index will change the value of kind of the top twenty players significantly right Neymar Messi Pogba son they're not suddenly gonna go yeah goals are worth like 10 points now and, and Messi is worth three quid and Pogba's gonna be worth seven quid whatever uh, Neymar as well it's not it's, it, something like that is not gonna happen where the bulk of the market cap just reduces it will just make not no sense for football index they'll probably have to do an extreme amount of modeling statistically and I think that when or if they do something like this it probably has to coincide with one a dividend increase in my opinion uh to kind of alleviate any material uh price movements of people's bets and a deposit bonus so football index could then say look actually the 
we've moved the needle by like 15% value-wise, but we're actually improving all dividends by 30%, and we're giving you a, a deposit bonus. So if you like those terms and conditions, you can say yes, and you can keep playing. If not, then we think that's kind of a fair deal, and we're sad to see you go, but we that's the best we can do. I, I think that the time scale or difference doesn't make that big a uh, diff- like I don't think it makes that any easier because of what we just discussed where you'd act like the eight months wouldn't, wasn't there so if you actually caveat this with something that is a bumper or kind of the bouncy castle that protects the fool for some traders who are heavily weighted in certain aspects then I think it would it would be on the majority well received and I think people when they think when they think or talk about stuff like this they think football index are going to create a situation where every single trader is going to be happy with the outcome, which I don't think is possible. You're right. It's impossible to please all of the people all of the time. And, and it's a really good challenge, actually. Um, maybe eight months was a bit of an exaggeration. Maybe the timeline of eight months was far too long. But what do you think the optimal timeline would be? A month? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it goes back to my point about what different does it make a difference does it make paul if if you're just gonna act like that time difference isn't there do you know what i mean like i i get people want the stability of a suspended market and enough time to digest it and then enough time before the actual thing happens but i think when it actually changes the value of the bets that has to coincide with something that benefits the majority of the user's base and obviously by football index doing this like changing the scoring system and adding some dividends on top or adding a bonus uh, a a deposit bonus they'd kind of be admitting that the matrix improvement is trying to make the uh, platform and the product a lot better and i think that alongside with dividend increase or a deposit bonus or both i think most traders would kind of look at that and be like meh you know i'm very unlikely to lose money and even if i do in the short term the product is in a better state the increased dividends will mean that the market market cap is larger and i'm more likely to see an even greater increase than the previous high that i had in my portfolio yeah you're right and and kind of one of the other key points that i got from what you've been saying is if football index make any changes there will be small incremental changes Mm. that shouldn't fundamentally impact the market what i'm thinking is maybe the addition of one or two metrics and a small tweak in the points allocation Mm. for one or two metrics maybe the right timeline is end of announce end of season for implementation at the start of the season yeah i i I, i'd also like going forward is that football index kind of set a date in a year where or two dates where they announce certain changes and they don't have to be fundamental ones right it can be stuff like the um dividend deadline moving backwards or we're adding this aspect to the matrix which by the way guys we've done all the research here are the numbers it doesn't 
prove detrimental to um, any of the existing scores that we have in our database or that they affect only 0.05% of the winners, something like that. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they have the data to, one, make the decisions that make the product and the matrix better, but also so that the things that they add or change don't change, don't they don't move the needle too much in terms of percentage. Yeah, the, the final point I'd like to raise on this is any changes, whether it be to the, the match day dividend scoring matrix or the dividend structure itself, as long as users are fully informed of the mm. reasons why and the potential impact, and as long as all users get that at the same time via the same channel, I'm, I'm pretty sure the implementation will be successful. I would tend to agree, and I want to also reassure traders with one last thing which is every decision football index have made to date has been a good one or it's been proven good for the product uh would you, would you tend to agree there paul yep absolutely what's what, the most recent change was in play dividends <clears throat> poor, poor implementation early on um which they dramatically turned around with the mm. second kind of communication and doesn't fundamentally affect the value of your kind of top end players but is a nice kind of monthly bonus for any trades that, that are successful in play mm. but fundamentally increases the value of players at below one pound fifty yeah yeah i think uh again it was something that wasn't well received at the beginning but uh began to really take it was taken a shine to by, by yourself for example and, and many other traders but i think franklin mary has, a, has an interesting question here again about the matrix he first of all gives you a nice compliment here pays you a good compliment a great guest last one was one of my favorite pods in keeping with the recent discussions about the scoring matrix what do you think if at all needs changing and if so what effect do you think this would have on the market could it be too detrimental to current bets yeah we've we've discussed part of this question haven't we mm. my, my personal opinion kind of i'm going to sit on the fence it falls between two stools um I, I don't think we necessarily need to make any dramatic changes for exactly the reasons that we've discussed but as mm -hmm. long as they're fully explained and we're fully in, informed of any potential impact of them i wouldn't be against it um i kind of approach this question two two ways from an objective or objectively and, and statistics is my go-to here so this was based on the index gain data again of the 136 match days so far this season the star man has been awarded to defenders on 33 percent of occasions on midfielders 35 percent of occasions and to forwards for 32 percent of occasions mm. so i'm i'm not sure football index could have wished for a better split of that kind of top performing player each day across the positions the, the other approach is a more subjective approach and whilst i don't necessarily agree that we can change or we need to change the scoring matrix i'd welcome with open arms any changes to the scoring matrix and if selfishly i've got a lot of the data behind baselines um and it would give me kind of an additional edge versus the market, which I'll obviously share on Twitter. And deep down, I'm reticent of the fact that while Jonathan Tarr making 200 passes and winning triple, tri a triple day defender um, dividend is very exciting for me, not necessarily as exciting for most users. 
I think something that ASP said on the podcast where it seems that the Matrix currently only rewards a certain type of football and, for example, a certain type of defending. Now, if I said to you, Paul, who are the best defensive sides in Europe? Who who would you go to? Juventus. Anyone else? Napoli. A- anyone else? Uh, s- Liverpool. Atletico Madrid. Atleti. Uh, like not not strong defensively this season maybe maybe not but on the one-off occasions for example like in the the Champions League that we saw against Juventus um, it was one of the best defensive displays I've seen in a long time and and a great celebration from Simeone (laughs) a very good one but I was looking at the scores of, of Godin and Jimenez who remarkably both scored in that game which was pretty nuts um by about 60 or 70 minutes and they were very low to say the least because they probably didn't have as much possession even though Atletico were probably the better side for the whole game and those two in particular defended admirably so I'm not saying that suddenly we need to you know increase clearances to 20 points per per pop or, or you know tackles to um 15 points per per pop but is it a danger that we currently in the current format reward one type of football when it's predominantly possession based yeah you're right defensive actions aren't necessarily as highly weighted so so when you see a great defensive performance like last night from Atleti those players aren't necessarily going to be at the start or the top of the scoring rankings Mm -hmm. there's a there's a there's a wider point here as well for me Football is so transient in nature mm. in terms of its tactics, in terms of the way that the game is played. Any changes in the performance metrics, matrix based on football as it's played now might not necessarily be as applicable in two years' time. Mm. And that's something that football index need to consider. They need to balance kind of a scoring matrix that reflective of real-world football. With, with stability that's needed for the platform to retain all the new users that it's had recently. Mm-hmm. I'm just looking at some of the stats, actually, from last night. Jose Jimenez has got eight clearances. <laughs> <laughs> P- passing is, yeah, they perform particularly badly on passing. So Jimenez, who scored the first goal, did he? Mm. Um, it's only, only got 17 total passes at a passing accuracy of 82%. <laughs> So despite having game week go- game in goal, despite having a, a large number of clearances, he's never going to compete for, for um, match day dividends because he, he's only passing 17 times. Mm. Which I guess is, is a subjective thing, but if, uh, if a team has defended really well, um, it, it just seems logical to me that if someone puts in a stellar defensive performance or a, a team that defends really well for a game and wins, those players are rewarded slightly higher. But I think to, to Franklin Mary's um, question, what do you think, if at all, needs changing or what would you add? Are there things like dribbles completed, dribbles, key passes or pass percentage, uh, a different weighting for assists? What, what would you add? Another, you know, what other features or aspects would you add to the matrix um so i'm not going to make a recommendation on which one to add directly but i thought we could explore together some of the 
some of the previous kind of recommendations that have, have happened on the podcast and, and, and through the community. Definitely. The, the first one, actually, that you've just mentioned is key passes. So a quick definition, it's, it's an assist to a shot that isn't a goal. I've, I've kind of looked at, again, across the top five leagues so far this season, the, on a kind of per-appearance basis, who the top performing players are for key passes. The list has some notable names in there. Uh, Lionel yeah. Messi sits third. Uh, <laughs> Dimitri Payet's first at 3.4 key passes per game. Um, I think if Football Index were to implement key passes, they'd need to consider kind of the relationship between key passes and assists. Mm. And, and what we didn't get time to discuss in as much detail as I'd like on episode 44 was the bad reputation that assists have got yeah. um, amongst the community. So if you look at an assist on its own, it's 10 points. But if if we look again at stacking those points, you can get an assist from a pass, which would be one point on top of the 10. Mm -hmm. You can get an assist from an accurate cross, which would be eight on top of the 10. And you could get an assist from a shot on target, which again would be eight on top of the 10. Mm -hmm. I haven't got the stats to look at what the split of assists is between passes, crosses and shots. But I... I I'd expect the average point when you consider stacking of points for an assist to be significantly higher than the 10. Mm. And before they implement or add key passes, I'd like to see the relationship between key passes and assists because they should be highly correlated or you'd expect them to. Yeah, I, I think that I guess to, to, to that point also, if you were to add, say, big chances created and it created an assist w would you count those as a chance i'm trying to think if the chance is successfully converted does that also that also counts as an assist and a key pass right yes there's precedent in the current scoring matrix for doing that isn't mm. there so crosses you get a point for an attempted cross and you get an additional point for yeah. a successful cross same with shots you get points for a shot you get an additional points on top of that if the shot's on target so i'm com i'm comfortable that they would be able to split kind of key passes between big chances created. What mm -hmm. I'd ask for them to do if they implemented the change, back to the information conversation that we had, was to clearly define what a big chance created is, because that has the opportunity to be quite subjective, and obviously we want the matrix to be as objective as possible. Um, the next one I looked at was dribbles. So dribbles is fairly fairly self-explanatory, take on an it's take on of an opponent whilst maintaining possession of the ball. Um, significantly higher number of total dribbles per appearance from the from the best dribblers um, across the top five leagues this year. Mm. Um, number two, uh, Brazilian player um, currently playing in League A. I wonder if you can guess who that is. It's not Neymar, is it? Definitely Neymar. <laughs> um, so in terms of absolute numbers, Total dribbles, um, Hatim Ben Arfa has 8.1 per game, which is about double the key passes that we talked about earlier. So if you were to implement and add dribbles into the matrix, you'd have to balance that out mm. across all the other um, scoring outcomes um, within the game scenario. Aerial duels is, is, is a defensive um, statistic that we mm. could add. But actually, the empirical evidence doesn't necessarily suggest that defensive players would benefit from the addition of aerial duels. So an aerial duel is defined by me <laughs> as a player 
um, or two players that challenge in the air against each other for the ball. And and actually, the top five this season are all forwards. I mean, I'm cheating slightly there by classifying Callum Peterson as, as a forward, but he has been <laughs> playing there quite regularly for Cardiff. And that's something that I'm struggling to find examples of statistics or defensive statistics that aren't rewarded within the current performance matrix. So maybe mm. there's some weighting that you can change for defensive actions, but even aerial duels where you'd expect to be particularly favourable for defenders actually benefit forwards much more. And the reasons for that are, are quite simple, actually, once, once you do a bit of a thought experiment on it. Um, when goalkeepers take kickoffs, they tend to aim for forwards. And again, back to the number of forwards versus the number of defenders, you're aiming for one forward in the vast majority of circumstances versus what could potentially be four or five defending players. And, and, it turned, and when we look at absolute numbers for aerial duels, we're significantly more, again, than there are for dribbles. So Hattin Ben Arthur, again, top at 8.1. Callum Peterson sits top at Cardiff at 16.7 aerial duels per appearance. So even if you allocate one point for an aerial duel um, in a game, you're, you're going to increase um, some of the scores for particular players quite significantly. And that might potentially unbalance kind of some people's portfolios. I, I've never really thought about aerial duels. What about duels in general? Well, we have tackles, we have fouls already kind of rewarded within the current system. Mm. There, is there anything else? We've got in, so recoveries. Yeah. It's rewarded already. Mm. Is, there, is there any defensive metric that you can think of that's not currently rewarded in the system? Because I really, really struggled when I was kind of researching this question. Mm. I'm trying to think off the top of my head and I can't really think of any others. Um, so I guess what we're kind of we're advocating for defenders then if, if football index were looking to tweak mm. the scoring matrix that they look to change the existing matrix rather than add any additional metrics in there if they were looking to kind of increase the viability of defenders mm. not that they need to based on the the thirty three percent share of of top star player dividends that defenders have won so far this season yeah no not not in terms of the actual current percentage but potentially the types of players that are winning um yeah the types of defenders rather i, I think we've we've spent quite a lot of time on on this and we've certainly uh stirred the pot probably a bit bit too much here paul certainly some of the interesting things that you've you've said is there anything else you want to talk about regarding the matrix before we move on uh nothing nothing more from me i don't have any um data on final third passes, which I know you've discussed a yeah. couple of times in the podcast. So um, the lack of data makes makes me devoid of opinion on whether or not that would be a valid addition. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I, I, you, you almost sounded uncomfortable there when you said lack of data. Uh, the next section is all about your strategy. And we had uh, four questions here from various people. FPL Addict, who uh, I think is going to come on the podcast pretty soon, maybe next week if he's uh, up for it. Has the way the market's been moving of late changed the way you've traded this season? 
the answer to this question is a reluctant well a reluctant yes in some ways mm -hmm. um, but, a, but a kind of more balanced long-term no okay so a bit of, of context um i spent the last five months traveling and i was back for for a fortnight to attend a couple of weddings mm -hmm. so i haven't had the opportunity to kind of um refresh my portfolio on a weekly basis but there was unprecedented growth really in a lot of players during January and that was kind of closely aligned to a lot of new users. My portfolio was particularly static in January. <laughs> it was quite demoralizing to, to, to watch the returns I could be getting if I was in the right country. Didn't actually win any dividends in January either. Mm. Um, and, and kind of the, the sum total of my, January is um, exemplified by one of my worst trades of all time. So based on the, the back of the in-play dividend announcement, I uh, managed to accumulate 1,000 Wojek Chesneys at £1.15. And, 15 pence. and what, what price is he now, Fig? I don't actually know. What, what price is he? Is he below a quid? I, I sold him at about 70, 80p. Um, that is unfortunate. So, so yes. Absolutely, there's been quite a fundamental change to the way I've traded. But firstly, I'm back in the country, so I can actually trade. <laughs> but, but also, I've, I've, and, and it's the main reason why I've introduced the board blog, blog posts that we discussed about very briefly earlier. Mm. So what I'm doing now is I'm managing my portfolio by kind of treating the, the 90 players as 10 separate or nine separate funds of 10 players. Mm -hmm. What I'm hoping to do there is to track dividends and price movements on a daily basis so I can be much closer to kind of winning dividends and I can also be much closer to kind of daily movements. What I'm hoping readers will get from from kind of my blog posts is kind of a bit of, bit of a lesson on how to diversify and options for diversifying your portfolio, which we'll, we'll get onto later, but it's kind mm. of fundamental to any kind of portfolio management. And kind of a new concept that doesn't isn't really talked about that much is is um, benchmarking. So what I'm doing is I'm tracking the performance of each of these funds against three separate benchmarks. Uh, the, the top ten high, highest price players at the time of me starting tracking um, a kind of crowd funded or a crowd sourced fund where I've gone out to the great and good of, of kind of the Twitter community and asked them for their suggestions of players to invest in. And also kind of a random control group that, that my better half picked on the, on the flight back from New Zealand. Um, but what I'm looking to kind of address there is my portfolio has been particularly successful since I started and invested in Football Index 18 months ago. <clears throat> However, it could have been significantly, I could, it could have performed significantly better if I'd invested in the top 10 at the time. <laughs> it always seems to happen, right? Yeah, and, and it's something that people don't talk about. There's a lot of blog posts coming up about if I bought X, if I bought every player from Chelsea at the start of the season, how I'm performing now. And it's really, really important to benchmark that against kind of the top ten of the index because um, it's something that's talked about a lot within the financial markets mm -hmm. and in stocks and shares, but but hasn't applied to hasn't been applied to football index yet and i think it's something that could really legitimize the platform the final thing i want readers to get from that is the importance of having exit points 
Mm-hmm. You've discussed this. I think there's a video on YouTube is there about exit points. Yeah, it was uh, exit strategy, which was more talking about because we were just getting loads of questions on the Figcast about like what's your exit strategy to people with you know rather large portfolios and they would all say either i don't know um and then my kind of rebuttal or response to all of these was there's this all in or all out mentality on football index and within the football index community that i don't think is necessary and then i started talking about exit strategies in terms of specific players which i think is more what you're alluding to so if you guys want to check that out head over to the youtube channel yeah, this is definitely focused on exit points for specific players rather than kind of my overall exit point um, of the index. Um, that was a, a very, very detailed plug on my on my blog. Apologies for that. But in, in terms of answering the question then, um, when I first started on the index, I had 100% focused on match day dividends. Um, when the implementation of in-play dividends occurred, I shifted far too much of my portfolio to in play, um, yeah. probably about 25% of it, the vast majority of which went on Chesney, and we seem to have it turned out. Now I've kind of implemented um, the, this portfolio tracking through funds. I'm, I'm more 60% match day dividends, 20% on future match day dividends. So where, whether that's youth prospects playing regularly or people outside of um, the top five eligible leagues who might get a transfer. 10% of media dividends and 10% of in-play dividends. So yes, it has changed in some ways in that I'm now tracking prices and dividend earnings daily, but it hasn't changed in the fact that my, the, the fundamental, fundament, what's the word I'm looking for? Kind of the fundamental basis of each investment is on the returns expected of dividends. Mm. Um, other things that haven't changed in the time that I've been away and since I've been back, still valuing players based on the, or, or, or still of the opinion that players gain their value from discounted future cash flows, which we'll discuss in a bit. Yeah. I've still got a belief that my my unique ranking system gives me an edge versus the market, and I'd encourage listeners to really kind of focus on on what what edge their football knowledge gets gives them versus the market. Mm-hmm. Still a long term focus to my portfolio, and the fundamental thing is there's still a, a belief from me that football index as a company and as a as a product is is kind of stable for the long term and kind of more than stable should kind of continue to be uh, to continue to grow yeah i think that's there's a lot of reasons why people buy futures um but fundamentally what gives the bet a return is the dividends that you've just returned uh, you've just alluded to the the returns um that a player can offer I think we're going to move on to the next question here, though, uh, before we... Well, we're already an hour in. Uh, Lee, is that Giles or Giles? Giles. Lee Giles. Is it better to hold the more futures in... Is it better to hold more futures in the main PB players or less futures, but in a like vaster variety of players? I'd be really interested in your opinion on this, actually. Um, so... One of the things that I'm looking to 
kind of explain or introduce to, to, to readers is the importance of diversification and the types of diversity that you can have within your portfolio. So I'm diversified by position, by league, by price, by dividend, by length of hold. Um, in terms of advice for listeners, I'd say for a portfolio of about anywhere in the region of £100 or less, I'd look to target um, 10 players, an average price of about £5. Uh, I don't know how that feels for you, Fig. Yeah, um, I've I've kind of been so transient in with my portfolio that it's hard to ever pin a right. This was my average future price, and this is was when I was doing really well, or it wasn't doing so well, and this was my average future future price. For me, it's more what you're comfortable with, what type of strategy you're looking to employ. Um, and I think at the start, at least, if you're high risk, you can afford to have your portfolio in like two or three players. If you're trying to learn the ropes more slowly, then you're buying probably less futures, but in more players. And maybe you're slightly more passive. You only look at the index every weekend when the games are on. I'm not sure what you think about that kind of thesis. No, you're right. I think if, if you've got the time to look at the market more regularly, you can absorb the risk of having more players in your portfolio. I think if, if, if you can only nip in and nip out of the index every now and again, I think you're right, uh, own fewer players. Mm. There's, there's less for you to keep on top of in terms of football news. I'm currently at 90 players, which feels a little too much for me. <laughs> um, but I know that's significantly less than the, kind of some of the, the super users, if you like. And how they manage their portfolio, I have no idea. Well, yeah, what's your uh, opinion on? I think ASP the other day came on and said he's he's never had more than fifty players. Yet his portfolio is currently saying is at about six hundred thousand pounds. Would you feel comfortable with having, you know, that kind of money in each player? Um, I am of the strong opinion that well, so, so I don't have as much money to invest as some. Um, Apart from the very, very few occasions that have all gone terribly wrong, I've never owned <laughs> any more than 200 futures in an uh-huh. individual player. And when I have gone above that 200 threshold, it's always been some of the cheapest players on the market. Um, my, I'm, I'm particularly bad at selling players, both at the right time and in the right quantity. Mm. So I feel comfortable managing around 200 players or 200 futures in each player because me listing players to the sell queue isn't going to have a fundamental difference or or a fundamental impact on the market. So I, I can't be at the top of the hill starting the snowball on the way down, nor, nor can I be at the bottom of the hill pushing the snowball back up. And kind of that 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 suits me quite nicely in, in, in terms of the way that. I look at my impact on the overall market. Mm. I think, and this goes on to the next question from Abu, would it be smarter for smaller accounts to load up on as many proven div winners or go for cap appreciation tactic? I think the more you diversify the way that you earn on Football Index, the better. And I said that in many videos and I've said that in many podcasts and it's cliched, but I think it's true. If you go for one wave, of making money on football index then you're going to 
be at the mercy of the market when it doesn't go in that direction. If you have a hypothesis and you think it's the right thing and you're really certain of it and you want to leverage that that kind of um, thought that you've made in your head and go for 90% of your players in, say, um, I don't know, strikers because you think they're really undervalued, that by all means do that, but at the risk that if not enough people think in the same way that you do, it's going to go badly and the market is going to tear you apart. Diverse, diversification or a diverse portfolio is kind of an extra security blanket. Mm. If football index make any changes to the, the weightings within the dividend structure, if they make any changes to kind of the performance um, matrix, if they make any changes to the way that media dividends are calculated or awarded, if you have a diverse portfolio across kind of some of the categories that we've discussed, you, you've got an extra layer of security against any market changes. Yeah, and I think that I don't mean to sound arrogant, but I think if you say have three players and you have a lot of money invested in the platform if you only have like four or five players whatever it may be and you have a lot of money in it i'm talking say five figures and you only have five players if something does change and it goes wrong for you or you're not on the right end of it or the right side of it there's i don't want to say it's hard to have sympathy for you but you definitely question because you're basically putting all your eggs nearly in one basket. I kind of get the ASP notion of 600k over 50 players, but at least that's still 50 different chunks that you have to split it by. With five players or six players with, say, 10 grand, you've only got five chunks, if that makes sense. It might not be uh, monetarily... like individually the chunks might not be the same but percentage wise you're carrying a a far bigger burden if one of those investments goes awry yeah i'd I'd kind of point listeners in the direction of investment funds because they're all very transparent in terms of the number of shares and and the volume and value of shares that they own in particular companies Mm. you want to benchmark kind of how to manage your portfolio Pick a, pick a couple of successful investment funds over the years and, and, and have a dig around in, in, and look at how many shares they own and in what volumes and kind of use that as a benchmark. There's some, there's some interesting information and some really useful information out there. You just have to know where to go to find it. And, and another way that listeners can help themselves out is kind of speaking to people either on, on Twitter or on Slack, just getting... Kind of contrary opinions, I find the most useful mm. because I'm I'm an accountant by by training and an economist by learning. I'm very rigid in my approach and I have quite strong opinions on things. It's always good to get a contrarian opinion to see where potentially I could be making better decisions. I think that's definitely wise to have people that challenge your thoughts. I mean, I'm in group chats all the time where I disagree with people and I think it's good. Uh, I'm on Slack where I question people when people question me and I think it's good. I think if you are bogged down with one thesis and you don't want anyone to influence your decisions, that's fine. But if it goes wrong and you start questioning it, then you only really have your own thesis or yourself to blame, if that makes sense. Uh, The next question is from Football Index Investor. How much does xg and xa influence your picks so quick summary 
XG is the expected goals of a player based on, you know, the shots they're taking and, and various other statistical underlying stats. Statistical underlying stats? That was a stupid thing to say. And uh, the expected assists is similar. Like, if you have lots of key passes, you're more likely to pick up assists, etc. Uh, do you want to explain it in a far better way than me? <laughs> I can certainly try, I think, but I'm not sure I'll be successful. Um, so expected goals is something that's been around maybe for 10 years, but has really kind of come to prominence maybe in the last couple of years. I think it appears on Match of the Day now on a Saturday night. Um, it's it's a probability... Uh, there we go, we, we're both messing up. It's a probabili- probabilistic measure of how likely an individual shot will result in a goal. It factors in things such as distance to goal, angle away from goal, the height of the ball, and the positioning of defenders around the shot. The easiest way that I find to understand XG is by looking at a penalty. Penalties are scored on 80% of occasions. It's actually 80. I always thought it was just over 70. Uh, I've got... Um, where's my source? Stats Maybe Bomb, I'm... Bomb May... Podcast had it at 80%, I think. Ah, oh, well, I believe those guys. They're very smart. Um, so, so 80% likely... When you take a penalty, you're 80% likely to score. So your XG for that shot is Mm 0.8. Expected assists tend to, well, they are significantly lower than expected goals because not every goal is assisted. It's It's the total XG that have come as a direct result of passes mm. or the XG of all passes that have led directly to a shot, if that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And I think that's something that not only football analysts are starting to use outside of the game, like pundits, etc., and, and, and guys like Statsbomb who are actually working at, uh, with clubs now, but also people inside clubs in terms of signing players and looking at how their own players are progressing. They're using XG and XA a lot more. So the question is, how much do those two stats influence your picks? And do you have some players that you could name who exceed their XG in XA for this season so far? Yep. So 10% of my portfolio um, is based on my in-play dividend ranking system. It uses expected goals, expected assists, and expected goals against and compares kind of season-long output versus price. Um, so that's a reasonable influence on my on my portfolio. And the, the website that I'd encourage listeners to go to there is understat.com. Mm-hmm. It's a really, really useful free resource that, that has tons and tons of XGX assist uh, information at player level. Um, FI investors ask for individual players who've underperformed versus their expected goals this season. So again, I've looked at the big five leagues. I've looked up to February 2019. And the top 10 is quite an interesting and mixed list, actually. Um, top of the charts is Rodrigo Moreno at Valencia. He's scored four goals this season against an expected goals expectation of 10 goals. So he's underperforming by six goals. Mm. Lewandowski, six second. He's having a remarkable season in terms of X goal, XG um, and X assists per 90. But he's still dramatically underperforming that in, in, in terms of actual goals. Huh. He scored seven. He scored twelve goals versus versus an expected goals of seventeen and a half. Mm. Cristiano Ronaldo sits ninth on the list. 
Um, he's got an XG of 19 so far this season um, and scored 15 goals. These are all in the league, right? Yes. So that's not, in, it's not including Champions League or Europa League fixtures. Mm. Um, there's a couple of interesting names on this list, actually. Um, Marius Stepinski, who's, who's the young um, forward at Kievo, who are likely to be relegated and might be subject to some transfer rumours or noise at the end of the season. Um, he scored no goals, according to my data set, against an XG um, of 5.1. Wow, really underperforming. And another interesting young player on this list is Cucho Hernandez, um, the yeah. forward out on loan at Huesca. He scored three goals so far this season and against an XG of 7.7. I'll be really closely monitoring what happens with his work permit and, and where he ends up at the end of the summer. Yeah, that's someone that was discussed on the uh, South American football special with um, with Simon Edwards. Uh, and uh, fascinating player, but I, I must say, haven't I've seen Sparks, but haven't seen him really performing, I guess. The stats back that up, right? The uh, his his XG is almost fifty percent below what what's expected of him. I think we need to move on from the section though, buzzing pool, uh, because we're going to be up all night otherwise. Football Index Journey has a question: Do you find a particular formation played by either team produces a higher possession figure for the favourite? Uh, yeah, before I go on to answer that, I think possession. I'm of the opinion that possession is of the, the most undervalued statistic amongst the, the football index community. Um, I find if you kind of take each and every question that players ask or, or um, listeners and users ask um, about match day dividends, if you take a question back and look at the possession, you'll be able to find the answer. Um, so just, just, just to kind of exemplify that a bit, I've got, I have Neymar top of my rankings, and the reason I have Neymar top of my rankings is he gets more possession than any other forward. I have Kimmich top of my defender rankings. And the reason why Kimmich has dropped in price recently is he gets significantly less possession. Now Hamez takes um, some of the set pieces at Bayern. I also get asked quite a lot to um, predict what might happen to match day um, output after a transfer. And the start the first question that we should be asking is what will happen to the possession statistics for individual players when they transfer? So does the team that they transfer to get more possession? Mm -hmm. Does the team favour possession towards that particular position? Um, in, term, um, in terms of an answer to the question, <laughs> we had a bit of a, a discussion before we came on 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 particular formations mm. and we've discussed a lot about defenders and, and how the, the matrix uh, rewards passing defenders rather than defending defenders <laughs> I think we both noticed that the 3-5-2 formation with three centre backs and two wing backs heavily heavily favours um, centre backs who pass to each other Mm -hmm. The example you gave there was Juventus, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I mentioned that Lee, Football Index SOTD, often used to talk about uh, the three centre-halves at Juventus when Benatia was playing alongside um, Chiellini and who else was it last season, usually? Uh, Barzagli, wasn't it? Uh, not Benucci last season because he was at AC Milan, wasn't he? Um, Barzagli. Uh, so he used to talk about those those guys quite often. 
And you've seen that and, season in Real Betis, haven't you? Yeah, Real Betis. Yeah. Start of the season, Mark Barcher had some really, really strong um, match day output. And is it Ma- Mandy and um, Mandy Fedal? Fedal, the other two um, centre backs have performed quite well without returning a huge amount of dividends. Mm. I think there's also a case to be made with with defences that play with a four at the back uh, that have a number six that drops deep. So I think we've seen it a few times with Chelsea this season, right? Jorginho? Yeah, well, not necessarily Jorginho scoring well, but the centre-backs playing scoring well because they're passing to each other quite often. Yeah. Um, we Actually, one of the discussions that we had at episode 44, one of the predictions that I made that has turned out really, really badly was... <laughs> um, invested in the Chelsea backline. <laughs> uh, Sarri Ball isn't quite as um, all it's cracked up to be at the minute. I mean, I'm, well, I mean, well, David, David Luiz has won a couple of PBs, PBs, hasn't he? I think Aspilicueta's won one. I'm sure, I'm sure Rudiger, Rudiger had, had one, one at the beginning, the beginning of the season. season. Uh, come, on, come on, don't be don't too hard, hard on yourself. yourself. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> what about going forward? Uh, it seems that you know, if you're uh, a player that plays out or up top but kind of like out wide more so you're more likely to win PB we've seen you know the likes of Neymar and Messi who don't really play as the central figure in a front three flourish or even Neymar this season in behind a front two um does that work really well for forwards who are playing slightly slightly deeper that goes more to the position thing but I guess it also highlights certain formations like the you know the four Two three one, uh, four three three with the diamond with the with the um, or a four four two diamond rather with the 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 attacking midfielder or striker off the the two stri- uh, the two main focal points. Yeah, you're right. Um, wingers tend to be a lot more involved in possession than forwards, and if you have a particularly strong winger on one side, um, Neymar last season rather than this season, um, they will get a lot more possession. Um, another thing that I've noticed, not not directly related to formations, is if there's a particularly strong attacking wing back supporting a winger. Um, the best example that I have for this was last season where Insigne and Goulam dominated yeah. the, the, the left um, wing before Goulam got injured. Um, mm. After Goulam got injured, Insigne got significantly less possession because he wasn't as supported by Mario Rui and his price and his um, match day output significantly reduced. But so there is quite a lot of nuance here, um, more than just the formation itself. It obviously depends on the quality of players in the positions that you put them in the formation. Um, and, and, and probably based on time, um, if, if I'm invited, I'd like my hat-trick uh, appearance um, <laughs> to coincide with kind of a, a real deep dive into possession because there's some really, really good stuff that I've got that I really look forward to sharing. I think uh, we could probably make that happen, can't we? Uh, it's not not out of the realms of possibility, is it? <laughs> the next question is from Muppet. I'm sorry I forgot his uh, or didn't get his uh, Twitter handle, but that's what he's known by. Who will be next season's FI King? Neymar, Pogba or someone else? Um, so let's take take the question back a bit before we answer it in detail so what we're looking for is a player with a strong age profile who competes regularly for match day and media dividends mm-hmm. have to be amongst the best players in the world all very good at, and at manchester united <laughs> so 
spent a while thinking about an answer to this question, and I'm very, very pleased to announce that I fought up two players that I don't own, so I can't be accused of any uh, dodgy dealings. First one is is obvious, um, Kylian Mbappe. He's, he's, he's severely lim- limited um, in the current PSG um, team um, by Neymar. We, we talked about possession, Neymar gets all that. Uh-huh. PSG, Mbappe gets very, very relatively limited amount of possession. If Neymar does leave PSG, it'll be really, really interesting to see with what happens with Mbappe's match day output next season. The other person, and as a Manchester United fan, this is kind of far, far too optimistic, is Jadon Sancho. <laughs> he, he, would be my, he would be top of my transfer list. Um, I'd, firstly, I'd recruit Maurizio Pochettino, which might be quite controversial opinion. And, and secondly, I'd sign Jaden Sancho. Um, but if, if he performs well and starts outperforming Pogba for media with, with the added pull of being English, then there's a, there's a chance. And being a former City player, of course. Yeah, yeah. We can, we can put posters of Jaden Sancho all across Manchester. <laughs> what about... What about um, I seem to remember that, you know, when Alexis Sanchez went into the last year of his contract he also he i think he flew to the top of the index at some point is there a possibility that eden hazard for example could run down his contract um that seems to kind of be the the trend at the moment doesn't it and after that uh whether or not he goes to madrid it seems very likely that a lot of people are speculating that could happen but i've seen a few people throw around the suggestions that maybe man city or man united themselves could could i don't know try and tempt him however unlikely that is if he was in the last year of his contract i i i I seem to think that that would be a more interesting conversation within teams in the premier league so i'm not saying he he will and it obviously depends on if if he goes or stays this summer, but it would be a, definitely an interesting one to keep an eye on. If he stayed in the Premier League, had the media buzz appeal and was playing well, potentially picking up PB, but also with the added notion that there is even more MB to come with a potential move when he moves away from Chelsea and runs down his contract. Um... I can't dissuade you from Hazard. Again, it would need a sustained period mm. of media to, to, to kind of pro- propel him to the top of the index. But what's particularly um, encouraging from both of our answers and what listeners need to pay attention to is how we are framing this question and thinking about it in, uh, in terms of dividends that players will earn. And, and that should be a key takeaway for listeners. I think another key takeaway is probably the variety of answers. You've mentioned an 18-year-old who's playing for Borussia Dortmund and a 20-year-old who's playing for PSG. Uh, I've mentioned a 28-year-old playing for Chelsea. There are so many players out there that could be the big thing. I mean, who would have predicted that Mo Salah would have done what he did at Liverpool, right? Um, Could Man City suddenly turn into a media buzz powerhouse? Probably not, but there could be a, a, a chance could Harry Kane go to Manchester United I don't know 
Um, could Callum Hudson-Odoi go to another English team and actually play week in, week out? There's so many different things that could happen that could challenge those two guys, which is currently who currently seem kind of un- unassailable. Um, you know, we've just seen a, a drop in Messi today. Could he win like six PBs in a row or guide uh, Barcelona to the Champions League final? There's so many things that could happen um, that could make a player way more valuable. The the obviously thing to to note here is that we're not endorsing or discouraging people to buy or sell or, or not invest in players or indeed sell them. We're just trying to maybe describe how we're thinking about them. Yeah, final thing for me on this: uh, you have to have an opinion if 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 you're going to invest in any player on Football mm-hmm. Index, you have to have an opinion that they're undervalued or will return dividends. Yeah. Um, so don't be afraid to have an opinion, and and the more people that share their opinions, the better for me. A lot of people um, get negative kind of feedback based on their opinions, um, but you absolutely have to have an opinion. If if everyone had the same opinion, there'd be no perceived value in the market. No, precisely. So that's a really uh, really astute comment to make. Um, we got a next bit here uh, about the share split. First question is from Mortz. Do you think the index will flourish after the share split? And do you guys think that the £20 player will be back quicker this time? Or will the index level out and be more like the £10 max price once it gets back there? So I guess we'll start with the facts here. If the dividends are divided by four, and or even if they're increased by 30% after the split we're not going to see a £20 player based on those dividend returns. So it would totally depend on Football Index uh, increasing dividends even more so on that. So I guess the simple answer is no. But why don't we answer that one about the index flourishing after the share split? Um, I wouldn't have invested in Football Index if I didn't think it would flourish regardless of the share split. Mm-hmm. I still think we're nowhere near market cap. I'm, I'm sure you'd agree with me. I still think yeah. there's lots of users that we can acquire. And I'm sure there's lots of deposits that we that they can take from existing users. Um, where the share split will help, and you've touched on this quite a lot in previous podcasts, so I don't want to go over old ground, but it'll be it will reduce the psychological barriers to entry to the market. Um, yeah, go on, sorry. And I'm kind of... My opinion is in line with you that we won't see an immediate or a quicker return back to £20. Um, and I, I wasn't around for the first year, but so I don't know what time frame we're talking about. But even if you just look at the numbers, it, it takes significantly more to increase, or it, it takes significantly more cash to increase a player by 10p who's £20 versus who's £10. And once, you, and as long as they get the price change mechanism correct, which I have every confidence that Kieran and the team will do, <laughs> um, that 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 truism, if you like, is going to remain valid after post shares. But mm. I, I really do think it will flourish. I think. SOTD again, smart man. If you're not following him, definitely do so. He said something to me today which was really interesting. As Messi was dropping, he said, Would Messi be what what would Messi drop to if he was three seventy? Would he have had a one percent fall? Maybe. But I think that 
I don't think he would have dropped as much, obviously, in in uh, actual monetary terms. I think I think what you'll find as well is a post share split in play will move towards the top end of the market. In play, in, in trade, in play trading um, will kind of move towards the top end of the market as as those barriers to entry or the price is reduced. As in, as in, we'll see more money move into players in play. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I think that's another thing that he said. Actually, sorry to cut you off. He said that he was talking about Neymar, and oh, I'm not sure if it was Rashford who who scored on the same days, and one had risen 50p. I think Rashford and Neymar had gone up about 5p, and he said that will look very different after the share split. We'll see a lot more people willing to buy at five quid. Um, comparing them to the price of Rashford just in monetary terms not in percentage terms and being like I'm probably going to stick with Neymar or get on Neymar and um, and actually ride the wave that he's just scored yep wholeheartedly agree with that and you've, you've put it far better than I did and SOTD is a very clever man <laughs> he certainly is isn't he um, we've got another question about the share split from FPO Addict second question of the day is there a danger that dividends look or appeal less value to new traders joining off the share split and with an even higher focus on cap appreciation with cheaper looking player values? Yeah, you touched on this just, just previously. It's impossible really to kind of give a definitive answer to this until we know the new dividend structure. Mm. That's announced on the 18th of March, we think. Yes, um, it is. But, what I'm in no doubt of is the fact that quarter pence dividends, if that's the way that they choose to split it, will be less desirable. And the data, in inverted commas, that I've got for this is Mike's first talk sport appearance. Yeah. So he talked about, I can't remember which player we used, but he talked about their total dividends earnings and he got a bit ridiculed because it was 50, 50 odd pence. And then he had to make the point that you can own multiple into the thousands in some cases of certain players. So, so you get significant dividend payouts that way. Um, what I'd like to do with this question is say that there are many risks kind of inherent with football index as it's a gambling platform mm -hmm. mentioned previously on this podcast that it's a startup company. When I started investing in football index 18 months ago, I was very cognizant of the fact I was invested in football index as much as I was any individual player. And, and the final thing to talk about really is Brexit. Yeah. So no one really knows what's going to happen in a month's time, two months' time, and how disposable income is going to squeeze, or how or whether disposable income is going to squeeze. Do you know what I'd love to know before before you go on? What what the revenues or profits look like for traditional gambling companies when the the initial uh, or when 08 happened when we went into a, a global economic crisis um i guess it's slightly different because with football index some people see it as kind of more of a uh, constant provider of cash for them uh, in terms of returns uh whereas you know, people might not look at betting or certainly 98% of people don't look at betting and say, I want to make 500 quid a month. Do you know what I mean? Or I want to make 50 quid a month. Yeah, there must be some public, publicly traded betting companies that were 
operating during the, during the financial crisis. So yeah, it could be an interesting little piece of analysis there. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't think they'll directly correlate, at least they can kind of show us a some some very vague idea of what happened with people's expendable incomes but you're right there's definitely lots of factors that we've got to contend with. and i think sam friedman I, I think you probably enjoyed that podcast if you listened to it um talked a bit about brexit and uh, obviously i'm not a politician i don't know anything about politics uh but you know the 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 true thing is that no one knows what is going to happen yeah i I really valued kind of the cognitive bias discussion in that podcast and kind of the macroeconomic factors that we've uh, discussed in in a significantly worse way than, than the podcast did originally. Um, mm. Just to go back to the question then from FPL Addict, I'd like to tie, tie my answer back in to dividends. If you're looking for steady, sustainable capital appreciation, you should value players based on expected future dividends and regardless of a share split regardless of any small tweaks to um the dividend payouts you should you should should be in receipt of kind of growth while you're in the platform yeah i i agree i think that i i said at one point uh on the podcast in the last few weeks that new traders i don't think join football index due to dividends and i think mike's also talked about how they get better returns from a uh cta perspective um when they talk about uh capital appreciation right um and i think that's that's something to consider from a marketing standpoint and i also like to talk about what um kieran talked about when they came on the podcast where he said that we'd like to do something where we allow dividends to become much more marketable whether that's the anti-split that he talks about where you could have a hundred pound messy but he pays pays out a certain amount of pounds worth of dividends i don't know but it could be really interesting to see where where that goes in the future but overall i wouldn't be worried about it um if anything the thing that we talked about with sotd where you know neymar winning dividends is likely to go up in price people might actually value them more if uh you know they might actually value them more when the share split happens due to the prices yeah and it's a really good exercise um just to we're assuming the dividend split will be four Mm. in the region of four so if you just take the top 10 20 top 50 divide those prices by four and see if there's any outliers when you're just skimming through and um, i think it's a really useful exercise to see maybe where the market could move post share split i think everyone's in kind of cordial agreement that it's going to be four but i do know that mike and adam stressed that it would be <laughs> i think six or lower than six or four or higher than four so four five or six uh do you think it will be four um and, and i'll ask you another last question after this um i'm gonna i'm gonna go for four but just because that's what seems to be accepted by the community at the minute i'm not particularly bothered what the share split is um what what i want football index to be reticent of is if they reduce dividend payouts to quarter pence dividends i would also like them to reduce commission and spread Hmm. to quarter pence okay interesting and last one do you think they will increase 
dividends? I think there'll be a marginal increase in dividends and maybe a slight change in the weighting away from media. That's what, oh. I, would, that's what I would do if I was football index. Interesting. Very, very marginal. All right. Well, I think we've we've gone through all our questions. Have you got any other any other business, any other things that you want to talk about while we've got you here? I have lots and lots of things that I'd like to talk about, but no time. So I'm going to jump straight to the uh, the final point that I had and put you on the spot a bit. Um, I talked about when I um, started the, the buzz, the, the blog on kind of portfolio management, raising a bit of money for charity, and, and you plugged collaboration earlier. Um, I'd like to collaborate with you on Final Runner, if possible, and, and see if we can raise some money for Cancer Research UK. Okay. okay. I, I think that's a great idea. Um, what about I chat to the guys at Final Runner? Uh, we set up a comp and uh, give some of that money away to uh, or all of that money, or we split the pot so that half goes to Cancer Research and half goes to the winner. That sounds fantastic. Well, well, we'll definitely, uh, I'll definitely have a chat with uh, the guys there. Any other football index related business to, to take care of? I think you mentioned something about some sort of uh, capital or economic theory kind of thing earlier in the sh- in the show. I, I talked about valuing players using kind of a discounted. Value. Yes, let's talk about that. What is that? Um, so have we talked in episode forty-four about NPV. Mm. you remember what the definition of NPV was? I'm nodding, but I'm only pretending to remember. It's, it breaks down to kind of the profit, profitability of any investment decision that you make. Uh-huh. Um, and so I wanted to kind of define each, each part of discounted future cash flow mm. and, and let users kind of absorb that information and decide for themselves whether it's a useful model that they can use. So economic models are based on rational markets. Economists have always struggled with gambling. Um, I'm of the opinion that price should be um, some function of lifetime discounted incremental cash flows. So lifetime definition is obvious, and the market really, really engages and loves this concept at the minute with with the youth trend that we've seen and, and how prices negatively correlate with age as that increases. Discounting probably needs a bit more explanation and it's something that is undervalued by the market at the minute. Discounting means we need to account for inflation. And what that means for you is that cash that you hold in your pocket today is more valuable to you than cash you will get in three years' time because inflation um, will make everything cost more, even though you've got the same amount of money in your hand. And I think that's something the market underestimates at the minute. Mm -hmm. Incremental means in the future. So this ties back nicely in with Abu's question that we talked about previously. Um, Abu talked about proven dividend winners, and I'm of the opinion that it's the future dividend winners that we need to consider a lot more than the past ones. We can use data from past dividend winners to guide our decision-making, but we need to use that to model future dividend expectation. The final part of kind of, it's not really an equation, but, but the statement that I made earlier was cash flows. And the way to describe that is the cash that you get from MI, MI, the cash that you receive from FI Mm. versus the cash that you give to them. So the cash that you receive from MI is the sell price of your futures and the dividends that you've earned of your futures through its lifetime. 
and the cash that you give to FI is the buy price, the spread and the commission um, when you buy and when you sell that individual future. One of the other things that economists struggle with or is, is making or one of the assumptions that they make is about long-term market stability. Uh-huh. And FI being a new startup that's not at market cap yet, you can't guarantee long-term market stability. But mm. hopefully you agree that price should be some function of expected lifetime discounted incremental cash flow. Uh, yeah it does and i think that this is something that panda talked about in the last episode um and i think he's tried to explain it to me over dms i think it's it's definitely interesting and it's definitely the way that fi model their um players and i think sam talked about it very very well where he said would it make a psychological difference if we had um uh 0.2 0.2 month or two month holds but at 0.1% commission or yeah. 2% commission yeah and um yeah and um he yeah, that was really really ticked a, a bit in my brain and it was really interesting i i wonder what would happen if if that if that were to to happen um i'm, I'm not too sure i've got one thing to note as well uh I want to talk a little bit about volatility because I saw something quite interesting from Ben or Ben Enio today um, where he talked about how Sainsbury's dropped about 15% in a day. And that was all because um, a, a potential merger with Asda uh, was called off or was rumoured to be called off. And there's some issues. I mean, I'm not too, you know, I don't really know too much about it. But they, uh, they dropped a, a heck of a lot in a day. 15% you're talking about Sainsbury's one of the biggest companies in the UK and I think I commented saying Coca-Cola talking about a, hun- a nearly 200 billion dollar company dropped 8% in a day so are football index traders not getting used to loss enough or not getting loose to a player dropping a large amount enough yes um, another recent example is Apple yes um, I, th- I think they adjusted their um, future earnings report and didn't they and they had a significant reduction in price that's what happened to, to coca-cola as well yeah it's also yeah they're, they're all similar and, and you're, you're you're absolutely right that traders need to be slightly lo- more long term and they need to be able to absorb losses better mm. when i kind of studied economics at university we talked about anything plus or minus 5% price movement in a day be noise. Mm. Now, stock market, market cap is significantly higher than football index. Yeah. And you, you feel, I certainly feel less engaged with an individual stock than I do with an individual player, which might have an impact. But the Ferrari around the messy price movement today, I find ridiculous in what was... I haven't seen the share price now, but 1%. 1%, 1% drop. Yeah, I think that what you said there is really important, the affinity that people have to players rather than companies, to people rather than companies in general. That's that's something you see in branding and marketing so much, the likes of um, you know, Football Index, who Mike always talks about, we want to have a face and not just be the boring grey company that's true as well in markets when you look at a company versus a person that you're investing in or the person's future in this case i think that's all we've got time for though paul 
um this has been great really enjoyed our chat where can people find out more about you uh, follow me on twitter at, at buzzing paul i'm on the same handle on the slack community my dms are open any questions give me a shout and congratulations for making it this long if you have <laughs> yes one hour 40 minutes give or take uh, if your commute is this long i feel bad for you but i also don't because you get to listen to the whole podcast in one which is great uh <laughs> i hope it made that commute whiz by if you're not commuting doing whatever you're doing cleaning a bathroom um you know riding horses on the toilet whatever you're doing in the bath i hope you're you're having a great time and sorry if we didn't get to answer everyone's questions it's becoming slightly overwhelming which is awesome for for me but not so awesome for some people in the community whose questions don't get answered i try and vary it as much as possible but please do keep them coming i really enjoy seeing those responses and yeah uh if you haven't followed me already uh at fi guide underscore hopefully i'm gonna literally one of my 19 2019 goals is to get at fi guide and then hopefully in 2020 if uh, if all bodes well maybe get verified who knows that'll be fun wouldn't it the blue tick uh, next to fi guide would be something only dreams uh, can imagine but thank you very much for listening again if you did stick this far cheers